with you. I, uh, I love this time of the year. Uh, I like, I like the Christmas movies. I just, how many like the Christmas movies? You just like the Christmas movies. We've, we've got a joke around our house with my wife, Kathleen, that she loves the Hallmark movies and she's a denier. She denies that she, and all the kids, we all laugh at her. So we do have a Hallmark Christmas movie support group that meets at the church here. My wife leads it. So if you're a Hallmark Christmas movie junkie like her, it's basically, listen, the Hallmark movies are basically the same thing with different actors and actresses. That's all it is. Same thing. Yeah, I can, I can, first five minutes, that's, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. Ba 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 ba. Stop ruining it for me. Okay. Um, so what we're going to do is this, this Christmas season, I'm going to take my favorite Christmas shows, Christmas movies, and we're going to dive into them because so many of them are, are just have the gospel message uh, in them. And so what we're going to just want to take them out and, 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 and look at them and discuss them and, and see why we are so joyful especially during this time of the year. So we're going to take a look at the different movies. Now, um, we have this, this projectors up on the stage here. Uh, I think we got this from Kathleen's parents. And when the praise team was, worship team was practicing on Wednesday, the millennials, the younger ones, didn't know what it, they had no idea what this was. In fact, Katie, our worship leader, thought it was a bubble machine. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's, that's the best. Those millennials, what are you going to do with them, you know? And so... Uh, so we've got the movie projector up here. Those you remember, remember back in the day when they'd break and then you had to get the tape out and put them back together and you couldn't wait when they pulled out the movie projector in class. You're like, yeah, right? It's, it's no fun now. It's just you can watch on your phone now. But, they, you know, it was special back then, right? So we're going to dig into some of these things. And, and, and I, I, there's certain movies that I love. And, and one of the movies that I really just love, and, and I, the, the shame of it is, is I didn't, discovered this movie till I was in my 20s and I was in college and a friend of mine in school said, have you seen this Christmas movie? And I'm like, no. And he's like, are you kidding me? And just shamed me into watching it. I'm like, okay. Because no, we're going to sit down and you're going to watch this because it's, an, it's incredible and it's, it's a wonderful life. How many of you have seen the, 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 the Christmas movie? It's a wonderful life. It's on all the time. What's funny about It's a Wonderful Life is this uh, movie uh, really wasn't that popular when it, it first came out. In fact, um, it didn't really receive a lot of hoopla when it came out, um, probably for some reason, because it, the, the main release that came out uh, in, in January 1947, and it was considered a box office flop, and then the film uh, actually lost money, and then years later it just it came out and it became this huge holiday favorite. Here's a side note about the movie. It's a wonderful life. Here, here's what some of the words that were, that, that they had to delete from the original movie script. Are you ready? They weren't allowed to use these words. One word was jerk. Couldn't use the word jerk. They took that out. They took out the word dang. Couldn't use that word. They took out the word garlic eater. Calling someone a garlic eater. Um, you garlic eater. Um, and they, they took out the word lousy. Couldn't say the word lousy. Isn't that foreign to us today? It's like, really? Uh, that was in 1947. Here's basically the premise of the movie. The premise of the movie is, is Jimmy Stewart. How many like Jimmy Stewart? Those of you who know Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart's the best. Uh, he plays this good-hearted man, George Bailey. Donna Reed, love Donna Reed, plays his wife, Mary. And it's a, and it's a story about this man who just is kind of, 
depressed about his life. He just feels like his life never really added up to anything. And, um, and so basically it's a story about if he'd never been born, how different the town Bedford Falls that, that he lived in would be. And he feels like he's not making a difference. He lives in this small town. His father owns this building and loan business, never made a whole lot of money. He felt like he gave up a lot of his dreams to run his father's business uh, people loved his dad and what they did for him, did for them, helping them to build homes and build a family, but they just never made a lot of money. And after a huge mistake from his uncle losing an $8,000 deposit, basically put the company under. And then George at this point just had enough and he wished that his life is, was over. And so wanting to jump off a bridge, uh, just to end it all, George receives this divine intervention from an angel named Clarence. And what Clarence does is Clarence jumps off the bridge before George Bailey does so that he can save him. And what George ends up doing is George ends up jumping in the water in the river to save Clarence, uh, the angel. So let me show this. I got a clip of it right here. Go ahead and look up at the, at the screen here. If you see the, the rest of that, I, I love the, the, the bridge keeper, the guy, just, that, that's a hilarious part of the movie if, you, if you've ever seen it. So, so here we see, that this, is, this is his life. Uh, George ends up jumping in to save, uh, to save Clarence. And so Clarence shows George, basically through all of this, what the town would have looked like if he's never been born. And, and it shows that without him, the town of, uh, would be just Sin City. And, and so what's going on? behind the character of George Bailey, Bailey is he just didn't see a way out. He didn't see his life as, as worthy. And in fact, if, if we look at Christmas time, we, we, I think we get this false sense that Christmas itself is supposed to be the most joyous time of the earth. And we understand, or the time of the year, and we understand why it should be that. But for many people, uh, without Christ, they, they look to this time where, um, this is supposed to be joyful, but many people aren't joyful. In fact, it's one of the most depressing times of the years. And, and, and for some, there's this stress, right? The stress of trying to find the, the perfect present or the stress of, of seeing that family member at a, fa- at a family gathering that you're just dreading, like, I've got to run into this person. And I know I'm going to have to at this family gathering. There's that stress, stress of bad memories, of this time of your stress of trying to make everything perfect. And from the meal to the decorations of your house, stress from all the, the busyness. And, and basically we can just get down and, and, and we can try to base our joy in these things, hoping that, that this is going to bring us some joy. And it really doesn't. And, and I just want to give you this statement. And the statement is this life doesn't have to be perfect in order to be joyful. I think sometimes we look at our life and everything has to be perfect. It's got to be that perfect bow on the present to say everything's got to be perfect. But, but life doesn't have to be perfect in order to be joyful. And that's what I want to get to the bottom of. Do you have true joy in your life? And, and I want to share and I want to show you how the birth of Christ can change everything and make Christmas what it should be and placing our priorities in the right place and finding a true joy that a gift could never bring 
not like the gift of Jesus Christ. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 1. I want to look at the, the account of the birth of, of Jesus and the angel's encounter with, with Mary and with Joseph and, and basically what was shared with them about the birth of God's only son. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there or look up at the screen. Matthew 1 verses 18 through 25. And this is the birth of Jesus Christ. This is Matthew's account of it, given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through what? Through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what she's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name what? Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and give birth uh, to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home and his wife. But he had no uh, union with her until she gave birth to a son and they gave him the name Jesus. So here's the thing I want to dive into. What is so important about the name of Jesus? This has everything to do with Christmas. It has everything to do with what the name of Jesus is all about. And so the angel said, this is what you are to call him. And how many of you know this name is so important? Because the name of Jesus would show exactly what he would come to do. So why is the name of Jesus so important? I, w- I want you to understand it is for this reason. It would describe who he is and what his purpose was for coming to earth. The name of Jesus specifies exactly what he does and that he will come and save. So Jesus' name literally means this. It means God saves. Jesus' name Je- literally means God saves. Jesus' messianic title which we see here, verse 23, is Emmanuel, which specifies who he is. God with us. He is the Messiah, the anointed one that would come to save his people from their sins. And so Jesus' name, the Hebrew language is Yeshua, which means God delivers or God saves. And so here's, we have to understand why the name of Jesus is so important. See, Jesus, and I want you to understand this, because sometimes we think, well, if I, if I follow Jesus, then, then he's going to make everything in my life perfect. Is that true? No. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to go exactly to order and everything in your life is going to go perfect and that we're never going to have, have trials. But what Jesus will do in your life is give you a new perspective about your life. And this is what we so desperately need in our world today. We need a different perspective. We are looking to things to satisfy us that only God can. 
And so we look for these cheap substitutes, these pseudo things to fill our lives with, to bring meaning and existence to our lives. And they can't. Now, does God give us good things in our lives? Yes. Are we to enjoy the things that God gives us? But who is the source of those things? God is. If God is not the source, then those things can never bring you the meaning that you think they should. Because we're looking to them. And those cheap substitutes to bring us this ultimate joy that it can never bring us. So Jesus won't make your life perfect, but he will change your perspective. And I don't want you to miss the message at Christmas time. And here's the point. Here's what I love about the movie. It's a wonderful life. Here's one thing that I can extract out of it that I love. The point of Clarence jumping in the water was to actually save George Bailey. That makes no sense, right? He, he jumps in to actually save George's life. The point of Jesus coming to earth was actually to save our lives. And Jesus came to save us from death that was the result of sin and rebellion from Adam and Eve. And because of that, there's this Wages of sin. We're all born as sinners. And we need help. And we need to be rescued. And we need to deliver. And there's no way that we can save ourselves. There's no amount of good works, church attendance that you could ever do, Bible reading on your own, in your own strength that can ever save you. We need a savior. And so the point of Jesus coming to earth was to save our lives. Jesus came to save us from death that was a result of sin. So what Jesus does for us is this. This is amazing. Jesus, the son of God, who is God, who is Emmanuel, who is God with us, what he does is he actually jumps in the water to save us. He jumps into our disappointments, our broken dreams, and he jumps into our messiness. See, for, for George Bailey, it was the end of the road for him. It was the end of the road for him. He thought, what's the use? Everything's over. My life's not worth it. And so what Jesus does for you now, he's not looking for you to first get your act together before you invite him in. He's saying, no, 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 no. What Jesus does is, this is so amazing about God. What Jesus does is he jumps right into your dysfunction. He jumps right into all your messiness, all your sin, and he says, let me do the saving. Let me, let me pull you out. Let me change you. And so Clarence comes to George. Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes right into our messiness, right into our world, right to where we live. And so what does God do? Well, God comes as a baby to save us, not a palace, but a smelly, most likely a barn, a place where animals are kept. And the reason why we we think most likely that it was a barn or a place where animals were kept because where was Jesus placed? He was placed in a manger, the Bible tells us. And what a manger is, it's, it's a feeding trough. Now, this isn't the place where kings are usually born, is it? This isn't a place where a Messiah should be born, but this is the place where God chose. He chose a messy place, a unsanitized place. It wasn't a perfect place according 
to the worldly standards, but it was the right place according to God. This is the only way that you're going to find true joy in your life is when you get to the point in your life where you realize my life is just unsanitized. It's messy. It's dirty. And Jesus, I need you to come in and clean it up. I need you to help me. I can't, I can't do it on my own. And I believe the reason why God chose this manger to place his son in this, this most likely a stable or a place where animals were kept, this unsanitized place. The reason why God, I, I don't believe this was an accident. I believe this was God's divine choice. And I believe it's for this reason. This is the place where God reaches us. God reaches us in the messy places of our life. If I think I'm good and clean, then God can have no place in my life. Isn't that kind of weird thinking that? Because don't we, don't we kind of want to show God our good side? Right? Have you ever taken a picture and you said, no, no, do this side because this is my better side. Right? Or it's, it, you know, with phones now, you can really, you know, back in the day, you know, when you just had it, you had film in your camera, right? You, you couldn't tell how good the picture was, right? Until later you got it and you're like, oh man, throw that picture out, right? Now we can look at it. We can filter it. We can, you know, we all look like movie stars now with filters and stuff on our phone, you know. But we all want to show God our good side, don't we? But you know what God says now? I want you to show me your messy side. Because until you're willing to admit that you're messed up, I can't save you. I can't come in. And so I believe that God chooses this place for his son to be born for a reason. The only way God can reach us is by, uh, is by us allowing him to come into our unsanitized places. Can I hear an amen? We've got to get this. So what Jesus does is, here's the thing. I think sometimes what we do is this. It's, we need to recognize that we are sinners. And I think sometimes people say, I don't like going to church because I don't want to feel guilty. And there's a hundred other places I could go to make myself feel guilty. Right? And we think like, well, all I hear is this hammering of repentance and you've got to repent for your sins. How many, we have to do that. We have to recognize that we are far from God's holiness and perfection. But here's the thing I want you to realize. God does not leave you there. See, the good news of the gospel is he came to save sinners, not just come and to point out all your flaws and your mistakes. So actually, when you point out your flaws and your mistakes to God and say, God, I'm a sinner and I've missed you and I want you to come into my messiness and all my bad choices I've made in my life, God says, that's exactly what I want to do. And I want to show you my grace and my mercy. I want to show you this and I want to give you something greater than what you thought you could ever find in your past. And so what Jesus does is he actually comes into earth, not just to preach and say, you're a bunch of sinners going to hell. I'll see you later. I'm going back to heaven. What he does is he comes right into our messiness. And then what he does is he leads us out. So here's the point. Jesus comes into our lives to lead us out. Thank God for that. He just doesn't leave you there. He comes to lead you out. 
And this is the hope. And this is where we find our joy. So what changed for George Bailey? Because Clarence, the angel comes to actually lead George out to show him that your life is worthy, that God does want to use you. And so look up at the screens because this is, I'm going to shoot to the end of the movie and I'm sorry, spoiler alert. Okay, I'm sorry. You guys already seen this movie already, but spoiler alert. Go ahead and look at the screens. I love that same spot where he was going to jump in, same spot he was at where he says, God, I want to live again. See, he was given a view. He was given a vision of what would happen if his life was not there. He was given a vision of this. And so what Clarence says is he shows him, listen, I want to show you that your life is worthy. I want to live again. Everything changed for George. Now here's the, here's the crazy thing. Same bridge. George says, I want to live again. Has anything in his surrounding circumstances at that moment changed? Nothing. He's still got to go home. They're all worried about him. He's still got to go home. The saves and loan business is still getting ready to tank. It's still ready to go under. He has all the same problems that he had before. What changed for George Bailey? What changed for George Bailey is his perspective. There was a change of heart. See, here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to realize today. Where do we find true joy? Because his joy did not come from a change of his circumstances. And that's the problem we have. We think my joy will come from having a perfect Christmas. My joy will come once this thing bypasses me. Once this trial is over. Once I do this. Once this happens in my life, I know I will be happy again. And we all think that way, don't we? We all buy that lie. But where does true joy come from? And what we need to understand is the things in this world can never deliver and they can never rescue us. And that's why we get the post Christmas blues, right? We all, we we get the hoopla of Christmas and the joy and all the stuff and all the parties and everything else. And then when it's over, the only thing we have to show for it is a huge credit card bill, right? We're like, ay, 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 what just happened? What just happened in the last 30 days? See, here's the thing I want you to understand. True joy is not based in our circumstances. The thing that changed for George Bailey was not his circumstances. Joy was there. It was his heart. It was a change of perspective. True joy comes from a change of heart. And that's what Jesus Christ does for us. Now, there are some of you out there that you can DVR or tape a sporting event and not know the outcome and you'll watch the whole thing. I don't know what you're on, but I can't do that. I got to know the outcome. I just can't watch something and know the game is already played without knowing the outcome. It's too stressful. So when I'm watching a live event and I'm watching my favorite team, I'm stressed all the time, especially if it's a close game. I'm stressed. I'm walking around and you know, I'm just, I'm stressed out. But if I know the outcome and I've DVR'd and I already know the outcome, guess what? No stress. I actually sit back and enjoy watching the game. 
because I know the outcome. Now, I'm not going to watch if my team lost. I'm like, erase that. But if they won, I'm going to watch it, right? There's no, there's no stress level. And I believe that these are some of the most comforting words in all of the New Testament. How can we have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances? How can we have joy in the midst of our disappointments? And we need to understand that, the, that things aren't always going to be perfect, but Jesus gives us this hope for our future. And I love these words that Jesus gives to his disciples in John 14. And here's the reason why we can have a joy, because we know the outcome. And here's what Jesus says to his disciples. They're worried, they're fearful, because Jesus is telling them that he's going to leave them. He's going to be going to the cross very soon. And like, hey, what's going on? And they begin to get fearful, and, and anxiety begins to grip their hearts. And here's what Jesus says to them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. John 14, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places, places, many mansions. Defer not so I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? And Jesus answered him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes into the Father except through me. Now, here's the thing. Many times we use this verse to show the exclusivity of Jesus, that there's not many roads to God, that there's only one road. It's not all religions end up at the same place. We understand through the word of God that Jesus is the only road. He says it right there. But what Jesus, when he uses that statement, he's not using a statement just for his exclusivity of being the only way to God. He's actually using the statement to comfort his disciples. To say, you don't have to worry. Don't let your hearts be fearful. Don't be anxious. Don't be troubled. I got your back. I, I got you covered. Put your hope in me. Yeah, you're going to go through difficult times. Yeah, there's going to be tribulation, trial in your heart, but take heart. I've overcome the world, John 16, 33. I, I, I've got you. I've got you covered. This is where your hope. Isn't it amazing? When hope is placed in our heart, it changes our perspective. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness, Right? My hope is built not on the things of this world, but my hope is built in the one who overcame this world for me. So yeah, we may be faced with trials and, and difficult things in our life, but we know that our hope is not in something that's going to crumble. It's something that is solid in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's the hope we have in Jesus. He's come to rescue us. He said in me, you will have peace. And the reason is he overcame for us. And we will overcome with him. I read this quote by Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a great revivalist in the 1800s. In fact, he spoke in many areas in upstate New York in just huge revivals. Thousands of people coming to the Lord. I would totally recommend reading his autobiography. Amazing, amazing stuff that happened here in upstate New York through his preaching. But he has this quote, and I love this. He says this. He says, it's often surprising to see how much pain... There may be in the sensibility and yet peace in the depth of the mind. 
And crossing the, the Atlantic some years ago, we were overtaken by a gale of wind. Upon the deck, the roar and the confusion was terrific. The spray from the crest of the waves blew upon the, the faith, face with, the, uh, almost force, with almost force enough to blister it. The noise of the waves howling and roaring and foaming was almost deafening. But when I stepped into the engine room, everything was quiet. The mighty engine was moving with the quietness and stillness and striking contrast with the roar without. It reminded me of the peace that can reign in the soul while the storms and tempests are hollowing without. See, here's what Jesus says to us. He says, I got you. We know the ending. We've already DVR'd it. We know the ending. And can I tell you, it's good. The Bible tells us that in heaven, there's no more crying. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. You know, as a pastor, I do so many funerals, so many funerals. And if it wasn't for my hope in Jesus Christ, I couldn't do it anymore. I would do something else. I would quit and just do something else. It's the hope that's within me of what Jesus Christ has done for me that keeps me going. Not a Christmas present, not a Christmas party, not any of those things. It's the hope of Christ within us that keeps us going. My question to you today, do you have that hope? Because that hope will give you a joy that only can come from Christ, can only say, why am I feeling this joy in the midst of this trial? Why am I feeling, even though this is difficult, why is it? Because Christ has placed that joy in your heart because you know where you are going. And our trials are just temporary. They're momentary. They're here for a moment, gone for the next. But Jesus says, I am preparing a place for you. I'm preparing a place for you. So here's how we're going to ask Katie to come up to the piano. And, and here's how we're going to close the service today. We're going to, we're going to take communion. And, and I want us to, to just realize what Jesus Christ has done for us. I, I want us to realize how important what we're doing here. And so let me explain this to you. Let me explain to you the power of, of communion, because what we're doing is Jesus says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We're remembering what Jesus has done, but we're also looking forward to being with Jesus one day. And so whenever we take communion, the Bible says that we are to examine our hearts. And what I want us to do today is we take communion as the ushers distribute it to, to all of you here today. I want you just to look at your heart. Take this time as the worship team will lead us in, in a song. I want you just to take a time and just saying, God, where's my hope today? And maybe you've never reached out to Christ. I want you to know that he's here. And he knows your past. He knows your messiness. He knows all the things you've done. And you know what he says to us today? He says, I still love you. And I want to come in and I want to give you a hope that you've been looking for. Hope is not found in a perfect marriage. 
Hope is not found in a perfect job. Hope is not found in a bank account that you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm set. Hope is not found in a nest egg. Hope, our hope ultimately can only be found in Jesus Christ. And he will change your perspective and give you a joy that this world can never give you. So as we pray today, and as we take communion today, we're going to point to Jesus and remind ourselves what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we have a lot to be thankful for. Amen. Do you have a lot to be thankful for today? We have so much to be thankful for today. So would you bow your hearts with me and just pray with me? And maybe for some of you in this place, that this may be the first time you've ever prayed this prayer, but, but, but Jesus is listening. God is listening to you and he cares for you today. So Lord, as we bow our hearts today and as we prepare our hearts to take communion today, Lord, I pray for anyone in this place today that is not called upon you. Lord, I pray that their prayer would be directed to you today, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness to save us, to come into our lives, to lead us out. And we recognize these elements today that the bread symbolizes your body that was given for us and the cup symbolizes your blood that was shed for us for our sins. There had to be a penalty paid because of our sin. And Jesus, you paid uh, the greatest the greatest, the greatest sacrifice. You made the greatest sacrifice for us by giving your life to pay the penalty of our sin. You did it in your perfect life. So thank you for being our substitute today. So as we just sing today and as we just worship you, Lord, I just pray that you would cleanse every heart in this place today and give us a hope that this world can never give us. So we place our trust and and everything we have in you today, Jesus. So give us that joy today that only Jesus can give us. And, for, and we just want to be careful to ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come at this time. They're going to serve you. Please wait to the end. Uh, we'll take communion together as a church family. So as they serve today, God bless you. and Just worship with the worship team.